Good morning. My name is uh, Doug Walker. I have the distinct privilege of serving at Williams Baptist University, and I'm so thankful to be here. Uh, my wife is Virginia, and she is here. You'll like me a lot better if you meet her, so I encourage you to, to meet her. Uh, we have two children, our son and his wife. have been married 10 years. They live in Brooklyn, New York. They're a long way away. I can't believe they're up there. Uh, he's a pharmacist in Brooklyn. Our, our daughter and her husband uh, live in Jackson, Tennessee, and more importantly, our two grandchildren. So I've got pictures. It's only two and a half hours for us to get to uh, Jackson. So uh, I am so uh, honored to be here with you. Thank you for coming this morning. I know that uh, you knew that your pastor was out. I have to tell you a quick story. He, uh, 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 pastor Jake called me and uh, left a message on my uh, answering machine if I could uh, preach for him. Well, I called him back and said, uh, sure, I can, and I'd like to preach 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. Well, he called me back and he said, wow, uh, that's exactly the passage that I wanted you to preach. I was going to ask you to do that. So, I just have to believe this message is for somebody out here today. It's for one of you at least. It may be for, for me. I invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I feel like I'm echoing, echo, sorry, I'll try to step back, I don't know. We okay? All right, good. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look primarily at uh, verses 16 and 17, but we're going to read verses 14 through 17 in just a moment. Uh, I hope uh, all of you are, are fans of Billy Graham. Uh, Billy Graham is, is one of my heroes in the faith, and I, I hope that he is for you. Uh, he tells a very interesting story in his autobiography, and it's written in other places, this uh, very story. Uh, you may know a little bit of the history of Billy Graham, but uh, early in his life, he was involved with a ministry called Youth for Christ, and, and he was a young preacher, and he had a, a very good friend by the name of Charles Chuck Templeton. Uh, Chuck Templeton was a lot smarter than Billy was. He was a lot better looking than Billy was. He was much more articulate than Billy was. And in fact, everyone thought that Chuck Templeton was going to be the superstar in coming years. Well, they finished a college and Chuck went to a seminary, a, a liberal seminary, and his views of scripture and what the Bible is changed. There's a very interesting story, a, a crisis of faith, if you will, that Billy Graham talks about in 1949. He and Chuck Templeton remained very good friends even though they took very different theological paths in life. Chuck and Billy had this conversation. Chuck said this to Billy in 1949. He said, Billy, you are 50 years out of date. People no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way you do. Your faith is too simple. 
1949, you may know a little bit about Billy Graham. It was that year that his famous Los Angeles crusade took place. So this event that I'm about to tell you about in Billy Graham's life that he talks about in his autobiography took place a matter of weeks before that very important and significant crusade that really put Billy Graham on the evangelical map. And the Billy Graham that you and I know grew out of that 1949 Los Angeles crusade. So Billy and Chuck have had this conversation and, and this is how Billy describes it. Alone in my room that night, I read and studied the scriptures. I had no doubt about the deity of Jesus Christ or about the truth of the gospel. But was the Bible completely true? I went for a walk in the woods around the retreat center near San Bernardino, California, and I prayed, Oh God, there are many things in this book that I do not understand. There are some areas that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I paused and said, but Father, I'm going to accept this book as thy sacred word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts. And I believe this is your inspired word. As we look at these verses this morning, that's really the, the subject. Really, what, what, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? I, I want you to think about that as we read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Well, I want to ask three questions of this text this morning and try to answer them from the text. So there are three questions. The first is this, what is the scriptures? It says here that all scripture is inspired. All scripture is inspired. What, what, what does that mean? Well, the key word, as you will understand, is the word inspired, inspiration. It literally means God breathed. Now, throughout the, the history of the church, uh, the church has constantly tried to define exactly what the word inspiration means. In our own day and time, this word has come under attack. We as Southern Baptists uh, began a struggle 
It actually began in 1961 with the publishing of a commentary on the book of Genesis that uh, our own Broadman and Holman published and it brought severe questions about the historicity of the book of Genesis. Did it really happen that way? So that began a, a struggle as we as Southern Baptists tried to define what does inspiration mean? It culminated in 1979 when at the Southern Baptist Convention, Dr. Adrian Rogers, who was pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, was elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So we began what was called the conservative resurgence. And what was it all about? It was about what the Bible is. What is the Bible? Is the Bible inspired and what does that mean? After 1961 and 1963, we as Southern Baptists revised our Baptist faith and message to try to once again define what inspiration means. Again, in the year 2000, because of other issues, we again tried to define clearly what the word inspiration means. What does it mean that the Bible is inspired? Uh, this is what our Baptist faith and message says about the scriptures. Listen. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is the perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain until the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. So we as Southern Baptists have tried hard to define this word inspiration. It means God breathed, we know that. But, but lots of people have said there are lots of things that are inspired. You can look at a beautiful painting or a, a, a sculpture and say that's inspired. You can read a great piece of literature and say that's inspired. You can even look at a beautiful sunset and, and being new to Walnut Ridge, I must say, there are some spectacular sunsets in Walnut Ridge. You can look at that and say, that's inspired. Is that what we mean here? No. What we mean here is it is God breathed. These are God's words. What is the Bible? It is God's word. Now, we've had to come up with a couple of other words to help us to try to clarify what we mean by inspiration. Those two words are inerrant and infallible. So sometimes you'll hear people say it's the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. What do we mean by that? The word infallible means that it has no errors. There are no errors in the Bible. Now that doesn't mean that I understand everything in the Bible. It doesn't mean that, that I can explain to you everything about science and the Bible. 
But what it does mean is that there are no errors in the Bible. Now, the word inerrancy has been added in, in recent years to try to explain this, that it is impossible for the Bible to have errors. It has no errors, and it is impossible for it to have errors. That's what we believe about the Bible. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. We mean that it has no errors. We mean that it cannot have any errors. Did you know that uh, in the first five books of the Bible, thus says the Lord occurs over 500 times? In the uh, prophetic sections of the Old Testament, thus says the Lord appears over 1,200 times. So when you and I pick up this book and we ask the question, what is this book? When we say it is inspired, we mean that it is uniquely only the Word of God. This is God's Word. Paul was trying to explain that to, to Timothy. He says, you, you, you continue in the things that you have learned. You, you, you know about his mother and his grandmother that had taught him the scriptures. What had they taught him? Well, they had taught him the Old Testament. So he knew the Old Testament. Timothy, you continue in those things that, that you have learned from your childhood. And, and, and know that it leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That is the point of Scripture. So that it will point you to Jesus Christ. How do you know about Jesus? Because it's in the Bible. How do you know about your own sin? Because it's in the Bible. How do you know about faith in Jesus and that, that I can be uh, rescued from hell? That I can be restored to a right relationship with God? That I can be renewed in my spirit? How do I know those things? Because the Bible tells me so. It is the inspired word of God. So what is the Bible? It is God's Word. Uh, the second question uh, I, I want to ask and see if this text will answer for us is this. What does Scripture do for us? What does the Bible do for you? Well, if you look carefully at verse 16, it tells us that there are four things that the Bible does for you and for me. First of all, it teaches. It teaches us. Listen, the Bible is the source of all Christian doctrine. It is what we believe. So the Bible teaches us what you and I are to believe. Now that, that's so important. Because listen, what we think, what we believe impacts how we feel. How we feel impacts what we do. So it all begins with what we think. Are you thinking right thoughts about God? How do you learn right thoughts about God? It's from the Bible. Are you thinking right thoughts about yourself? Your, your relationship to God? We learn it from the Bible. How about my actions and how about how I treat other people? I learned that from the Bible. 
The Bible is the source of Christian doctrine. It is to teach you how you are to think, how you are to feel, and what you are to do. That's the Bible. The second thing that the Bible does for you and for me, it reproves or rebukes us. That means this. This is a word that means it exposes errors. Now, the truth of the matter is that every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us, at times, has wrong thoughts. We have wrong feelings. We have wrong actions. And the Bible exposes that. The Bible reveals that to us. It rebukes us. It tells us when we are wrong. Our, our children, when they were growing up, our son is uh, three years older than our, our daughter is, and our, our son was always really big for his age. You know, in the 85, 90 percentile uh, for, for height and weight for his age, and, and our poor little daughter was in about the 40 percentile. So all, all he had to do, he's three years older, all he had to do was just kind of open his arms up and, and she'd go tumbling, you know. And that would happen a lot, you know. He, he would just, he, he was a, a boy. And as a boy, he just loved to pick on his sister. You know, he would do that all the time. Now, you know, as parents, we, we would try to correct him. We would try to instruct him that that's not how you treat your little sister. That's not how you treat your little sister. So very often, I'm sure parents, you, you can relate to this. Very often, we would have him apologize to his sister. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, he didn't really mean it because he really didn't grasp what he had done. Now listen, one of the things that the Bible ought to do for you and for me, it ought to rebuke us. It ought to show us where we are wrong. Let me tell you, if the Bible doesn't do that for you, you're not reading the Bible very carefully. If the Bible is not exposing in your life the wrong things that you're doing, the wrong attitudes that you have, the wrong ways that you are thinking from time to time, it doesn't happen every day, but from time to time, that's what the Bible ought to be doing in your life. The Apostle Paul calls it here reproof or rebuke. That's part of what the Bible does for you and for me. It points out in our lives how and where we are wrong. Now, if you're married, your spouse does that from time to time. Isn't that right? No, no, no comments. Your spouse might po point out to you that you're wrong. And then the hardest thing to do in a marriage, isn't it, is to say, okay, I'm wrong. You're right, I'm wrong. Well, listen, that's what the Bible ought to be doing for us. It teaches us, it becomes the basis for what we believe, how we feel, what we do. The Bible also rebukes, reproves us, shows us where we are wrong. Here's a, a third thing that the Bible does for us. It corrects us. Now, this is a, a very positive word. If the, if the word reprove or rebuke is a negative word, this is a much more positive word. It corrects us. 
It shows us what we are to do. It restores us to a right relationship with God. It shows you and me how we are to think, what we are to, to believe, how we are to, to go about it. How do you do that? It, it leads us to Jesus. It points us to the right thing. Now, I, I, I liken this word a little bit to exercise. Now, if you ever go to the doctor, one of the things he always tells you to do is you need to exercise more, right? That's pretty big in our culture and society. You gotta exercise, you gotta exercise. What does exercise do? Now, if you work out, particularly if you're my age, which is 29, by the way, if, if you work out, it is really hard, and it doesn't get any easier. But you know, there's something positive about it. Helps my cholesterol, it means I can eat a lot more, because I like to eat, and I don't put on a whole lot more weight. It means my blood pressure stays low, it means my blood sugar is, is under control. All of those good things, because I exercise, that's what this word correct means. It means I'm exercising, I'm disciplining myself. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and the Bible teaches me and shows me what I'm supposed to be doing. There's a fourth thing. It trains us in righteousness. So what does the Bible do for me? It teaches me, it reproves or rebukes me, it corrects me, it trains me in righteousness. It helps me stay on the right track, on the right path. Now, I, I have a little definition for righteousness that helps me a lot because the word righteousness is used an awful lot in the Bible. Here is my, my definition for righteousness. It's doing the right thing in the right way for the right reason. Doing the right thing in the right way for the right reason. That's righteousness. So the Bible trains us in righteousness. It helps us see what the right thing to do is. It helps us to do the right thing for the right reason. So I want to do the right thing because if I'm a Christian, if I'm a Christian, one of the ways that I glorify God, John 15 tells us that I bear much fruit. So doing the right thing, bearing much fruit means that I live a righteous life. I do the right thing in the right way, most importantly, for the right reason. So what is the Bible? It is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. What does the Bible do for us? It teaches us, it reproves us or rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us in righteousness. And then there's one final thing that I want to ask you about this text. It is this. Now, what is the point? So what? So what if the Bible's inspired? So what if it teaches, reproves, or rebukes, corrects, trains in righteousness? Well, the so what is answered in verse 17. So that the man or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 
Listen, if you read the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us there that it is God's will for your life in chapter 2. Here's the evidence that you are a Christian, that you perform good works. Now, good works don't save you, but good works are the evidence that you are a believer. The book of James, we read the same thing. So good works ought to be something you look for in your life. What are good works? Well, the Bible teaches us what good works are. I, I, I want to help you apply this to your life. I want you to think of what difference this makes in your life. Listen, I think there's six things that you and I can do to apply this passage to our lives so that we truly live out the fact that the Bible is the Word of God, so that it teaches us, it, it, it reproves or rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us, so that I might be the man or you might be the woman of God, equipped and adequate, perfect is one translation for every good work. There are six things that you, you and I ought to be doing about the Bible. The first is this, we ought to be hearing the Word of God. You ought to be listening to the Word of God. There is no substitute for you hearing the Word of God. You need to be faithful to come and hear your pastor preach the Word because he does. You need to listen to the Word. You need to listen to your favorite preachers across the country. There are there are so many ways, given technology today, that you can listen to preaching. Are you listening to good preaching throughout the, the week? Are you listening to the Word of God? We've got to hear the Word of God. It is important for you to be faithful in your attendance. Secondly, we need to be reading the Word of God. Do you have a plan in your life about how you read God's Word? Are you reading a, a few verses every day? Are you reading a chapter? Are you reading God's Word? Book of uh, 1 Peter explains it this way. It says the Bible's like food for our souls. Now, as you can tell, I don't miss many meals. I like to eat. I like food. I like all kinds of food. I like cheese. I like chicken. I like desserts especially. I like to eat. I like to eat. The only way that you're going to grow in the faith is by reading God's Word. Hearing it, reading it. I want to challenge you, if you don't have some plan in your life for regularly reading God's Word, I want to encourage you to do so. I need to hear it, I need to read it, I need to study it. You and I need to be studying God's Word. Are you in a Bible study? Are you faithful in your Sunday school attendance? Is there some other place that you are studying God's Word? You and I need to become students of God's Word. The fourth thing you and I need to do is to apply God's Word to our lives. Is there regular application of God's Word to your life? Do you read something? Are, are, are you rebuked or reproved? Do you change that? Do you change the way you think or the way that you feel or what you're doing? 
Can you apply God's word to your life? There was a commercial when I was growing up about a, a tire, a tire company. It's where the, the rubber meets the road. Do you remember that, that commercial, some of you? The rubber meets the road. That's where application is. Are you putting into practice what you're studying and what you're learning from God's word? So I need to hear it, read it, study it, apply it. I need to memorize God's word. I need to memorize God's word. You're not too young and you're not too old to be memorizing God's word. Listen, memorizing God's word does a, a couple of things for us. It helps us to think like God thinks because these are God's words. It helps me to see my life and to see other people more from God's perspective, God's words. Are you memorizing God's word? And the final thing, the sixth thing that you and I need to do is we need to be meditating upon God's word. Now I find it very interesting that the, the word uh, meditate in the Old Testament, the Hebrew language, comes from the word that we get the cow chews its cud. Now, when I was a little boy, my, my father and my grandfather bought some cows. They were going to get into the cattle business. Didn't go great, but uh, I learned a lot. And one of my favorite things was going to my grandparents' farm and seeing those cows get under the shade of the tree and start chewing their cud. I just found that fascinating. And that's a great way of expressing what you and I ought to be doing about the Word of God. It means that I'm mulling it over in my mind. I'm thinking about it. Words and phrases and what does this teach me about God? And what does this teach me about myself? What am I to learn about how I'm to live my life? So if, if I'm going to be adequate equipped for every good work, I need to be hearing God's word, reading God's word, studying God's word, applying God's word, memorizing God's word, and meditating upon God's word. I want to challenge you this morning. Apply God's word to your life. Do you need to start uh, being faithful about reading it, studying it? applying it, memorizing it. Maybe some of you have not been memorizing God's Word. I want to encourage you to start memorizing God's Word. Start meditating upon God's Word, thinking about it. I pray that the Lord will speak to you through His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you that it is your word, it is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible, it's truly God-breathed. We thank you that your word teaches us, it reproves us or rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us, so that we will be equipped, adequate for every good work. Pray, Lord, that we would apply your word to our lives. Father, I pray and ask this morning, those who 
need to be more faithful in their attendance. I, I pray that you would convict them. I pray that those who need to be reading your word more faithfully would, would do that. That they would commit this morning to do that. To study your word, to apply it. Maybe there's some here, Father, that need to be memorizing your word. Pray, Lord, that you would convict them. I pray that there are those who would be meditating upon your word, thinking about it over and over again. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our closing hymn this morning is going to be Have Thine Own Way, and we're going to stand in just a moment, sing that hymn together. And there are going to be some folks here at the front, if, if you need to come and, and just pray with them, uh, there's an altar up here at the front. If you need to come and just uh, commit your life and your heart in some way, maybe the Lord's dealing with you about how you apply God's word to your life. Maybe God's dealing with you about whether or not you're a Christian. Maybe you need to make some commitment you made to him public. This is an opportunity for you to respond publicly to what the Lord is doing in your heart as we stand together and sing, Have Thine Own Way. encourage you to come back this evening. Our services start at 6. I hope that this message today would resonate with us, that we would dive into God's Word and apply it to our life, memorize it, and be who God's really called us to be. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for your Word today. I pray that we can apply it to our life and be the Christian and the person in our community that you need us to be. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's here. I pray that you bless their life. Give them the power to do what you've called them to do and live out their faith for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>